European Hearts Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 38, Issue 2, Focus Issue on Hypertension, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Luscher. Hypertension. Detection, Mechanisms, Outcomes, and Treatment. Hypertension remains one of the most common and important cardiovascular risk factors, not only for stroke, but also for myocardial infarction. Coronary plaque rupture is the most common cause of acute coronary syndromes, an event that is triggered by physical forces exerted by the circulating blood. In their clinical review, Biomechanical Stress in Coronary Atherosclerosis, Emerging Insights from Computational Modeling, Peter Barlis and colleagues from the University of Melbourne in Australia reiterate that early detection of plaques prone to rupture may allow more focused preventative treatment. However, they remind us that current diagnostic methods remain inadequate to detect these lesions. Indeed, established imaging features indicating vulnerability do not confer adequate specificity for symptomatic rupture. Similarly, even though experimental and computational studies have underscored the importance of endothelial shear stress, the ability of shear stress to predict plaque progression remains incremental. In their review, they examine recent advances in image-based computational modelling that have elucidated possible mechanisms of plaque progression and rupture, and potentially novel features of plaques most prone to symptomatic rupture. With further study and clinical validation, these markers and techniques may improve the specificity of future culprit plaque detection. While blood pressure measured at surgery is highly predictive for outcomes, there are patients in which such a measurement does not reflect their true blood pressure. Indeed, masked hypertension, which is present when in-office normotension translates to out-of-office hypertension, is present in a surprisingly high percentage of untreated persons and an even higher percentage of patients after beginning antihypertensive medication as outlined by Stason and colleagues from the Universities of Leuven, Maastricht and California at Irvine in their review, Masked Hypertension, Understanding Its Complexity. Not only are persons with prehypertension more likely to have masked hypertension than those with optimal blood pressure, but they also frequently develop target organ damage prior to transitioning to sustained hypertension. Furthermore, the frequency of masked hypertension is high in individuals of African descent and in the presence of increased cardiovascular risk factors and disease states such as diabetes and chronic renal failure. Nocturnal hypertension and non-dipping may be early markers of masked hypertension. 24-hour ambulatory blood pressure monitoring, which can detect nighttime and 24-hour elevated blood pressure, remains the gold standard for diagnosing masked hypertension. Almost one-third of treated patients with masked hypertension remain as masked uncontrolled hypertension, and it becomes important, therefore, to use ambulatory blood pressure monitoring and supplemental home blood pressure measurements for effective diagnosis and control of hypertension. The sympathetic system, particularly that innervating the kidneys, is an important driver of hypertension. Indeed. 
surgical sympathectomy lowers not only blood pressure, but reduces mortality in severe hypertension. Catheter-based renal artery denervation lowers blood pressure in certain patients with uncontrolled hypertension and if enough ablations have been placed. However, the characteristics of patients most likely to benefit from the procedure is lacking. Isolated systolic hypertension is characterized by increased vascular stiffness and is the predominant hypertensive phenotype in the elderly. In a first clinical paper, reduced blood pressure lowering effect of catheter-based renal denervation in patients with isolated systolic hypertension, data from Simplicity HTN3 and the Global Simplicity Registry, Felix Mafoud and colleagues from the University Clinic of Saarland in Homburg, Germany, compared baseline characteristics and systolic blood pressure change at six months of patients with isolated systolic hypertension and systolic diastolic hypertension. To that end, they pooled data from 1,103 patients from Simplicity HTN3 and the Global Simplicity Registry, a total of 429 patients had isolated systolic hypertension and 674 systolic-diastolic hypertension. Patients with isolated systolic hypertension were significantly older, had more type 2 diabetes mellitus and a lower estimated glomerular filtration rate. Six months after renal ablation, the systolic blood pressure drop in systolic-diastolic hypertension was 19 millimeters of mercury but only 11 millimeters of mercury in isolated systolic hypertension. The change in 24-hour systolic blood pressure at six months was nine millimeters of mercury in patients with systolic diastolic hypertension, but only six millimeters of mercury in isolated systolic hypertension. Thus, the presence of isolated systolic hypertension at baseline, but not age, was associated with less pronounced blood pressure changes following the procedure. The strongest predictor of office systolic blood pressure reduction at six months was systolic-diastolic hypertension, followed by aldosterone antagonist use and non-use of vasodilators. The authors conclude that the reduction in blood pressure among patients with isolated systolic hypertension following renal denervation was less pronounced than the reduction in patients with combined systolic-diastolic hypertension. These findings are put into further perspective in an editorial by Stefano Tadei from the Università degli Studi di Pisa in Italy. Diuretics and renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system inhibitors are central in the treatment of hypertension. However, particularly diuretics may cause glucose abnormalities, and both diuretics and renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system inhibitors may change serum potassium levels. In their clinical research article, Short-Term Mortality Risk of Serum Potassium Levels in Hypertension, a Retrospective Analysis of Nationwide Registry Data, Maria Lukas Krogager and colleagues from the Aalborg University Hospital in Denmark examined mortality in relation to serum potassium in hypertensive patients. From Danish national registries, the authors identified 44,799 hypertensive patients aged 30 years or older who had a serum potassium measurement within 90 days from diagnosis between 1995 and 2012. 
All-cause mortality was analysed per seven predefined potassium levels, lower than 3.5 millimoles per litre, defined as hypokalemia, 3.5 to 3.7 millimoles per litre, 3.8 to 4.0 millimoles per litre, 4.1 to 4.4 millimoles per litre, 4.5 to 4.7 millimoles per litre, 4.8 to 5.0 millimoles per litre, and more than 5.0 millimoles per litre, defined as hyperkalemia. During 90 days follow-up, mortalities in the seven strata were 4.5, 2.7, 1.8, 1.5, 1.7, 2.7, and 3.6% respectively. Adjusted risk for death was statistically significant for patients with hypokalemia with a hazard ratio of 2.8 and hyperkalemia with a hazard ratio of 1.7. Notably, with a range of 4.1 to 4.7 millimoles per litre as reference, normal potassium levels were also associated with increased mortality, i.e. within 3.5 to 3.7 millimoles per litre with a hazard ratio of 1.7, within 3.8 to 4.0 millimoles per litre with a hazard ratio of 1.21 and within 4.8 to 5.0 millimoles per litre with a hazard ratio of 1.48. Thus, mortality in relation to the seven potassium ranges was U-shaped with the lowest mortality in the interval 4.1 to 4.4 millimoles per litre, while potassium levels outside this range were associated with increased mortality risk in patients with hypertension. These provocative findings are put into clinical perspective in a thoughtful editorial by Bertram Pitt from the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, USA. Physical activity exerts beneficial effects in hypertensive patients as well as those at high cardiovascular risk at large. Indeed, it improves cardiac structure and clinical outcome as outlined by the recent ESC prevention guidelines. However, it is unclear whether such benefits differ per level of cardiorespiratory fitness or strength. In their clinical research article, The Association Between Physical Activity and Risk of Mortality is Modulated by Grip Strength and Cardiorespiratory Fitness, evidence from 498,135 UK Biobank participants. Jason M. R. Gill and colleagues from the University of Glasgow in Scotland aimed to determine whether the association between physical activity and mortality is moderated by cardiorespiratory fitness and grip strength sufficiently to be informative for choosing health promotion strategies. From 498,135 participants of the UK Biobank, data on cardiorespiratory fitness were available in 67,702 participants, with variables on grip strength, cardiorespiratory fitness, and physical activity. 8,591 died over a median of 4.9 years of follow-up. There was a significant interaction between total physical activity and grip strength, whereby the higher hazard of mortality associated with lower physical activity was greatest among participants in the lowest tertile for grip strength and lowest amongst those in the highest grip strength tertile. The interaction with cardiorespiratory fitness did not reach statistical significance, but the pattern was similar. The association between physical activity and mortality was larger among those in the lowest tertile of cardiorespiratory fitness with a hazard ratio of 1.13 than those in the highest, 
with a hazard ratio of 1.03. The pattern for cardiovascular disease events was similar. Thus, these findings provide novel evidence that strength and possibly cardiorespiratory fitness moderates the association between physical activity and mortality. The association between physical activity and mortality is strongest in those with the lowest strength, which is easily measured in a clinical setting, and lowest cardiorespiratory fitness, suggesting that these subgroups could benefit most from interventions to increase physical activity. The editors hope that this issue of the European Hearts Journal will find the interest of its readers.